It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. And we're seeing it once again today with the brave Ukrainian people showing that their power of many is greater than the will of any one dictator. So in this hour, let the words of Pope John Paul burn as brightly today. Never, ever give up hope. Never doubt. Never tire. Never become discouraged. Be not afraid. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase a people's love for liberty. Brutality will never grind down their will to be free. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. God bless you all, and may God defend our freedom, and may God protect our troops. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Uh, President Thank Joe you. Biden was speaking in Poland over the weekend. He did his little tour in Europe and in, in the Eastern Bloc countries, and I've stepped in it repeatedly. And in that particular speech, if you were listening carefully, a lot of things he said I, we could take apart, like freedom. How about freedom here at home? How about democracy here at home? We could talk about those things, but they're nice words, and they were written for him. But what wasn't written for him was the last statement that Putin cannot remain in power. He's got to go. Uh, so that was like off script. And so the White House and all the, you know, the Secretary of State, they're all hustling uh, Jen Psaki to cover up uh, no, there's no regime change planned by the United States. The people of Russia should determine who their own leader is. But it was a huge uh, blunder, shall we say. He also went on to blunder about sending troops into uh, into Ukraine. He said that at another point. Uh, he talked about uh, the response if uh, if Russia uses chemical weapons, that we would respond if NATO was attacked. And uh, nowhere has that ever been decided. Look, at we... Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it's just that these are dangerous words and he's carelessly and thoughtlessly, because I don't think he has the ability to think this thing through, uh, throwing out all of those um, lobbying, all those grenades uh, in Europe. And so people are pretty upset about it, people around him trying to, you know, clean things up. And that is translating. It really is translating to the polls. Chuck Todd even admitted it uh, on NBC. Let's listen. This is clip nine. By a fairly large 71 to 28 percent margin, Americans say they do not have a lot of confidence in President Biden's ability to respond to this war. 
57% say we are already at war with Russia or will be within a year, a very pessimistic view. 34% disagree. What's more, 68% would prefer Mr. Biden make the economy his top priority, compared with just 29% who want him to focus on ending this war. Overall, President Biden's job approval stands at just 40%, with 55% disapproving. This is his worst showing yet in our poll since he became president. Okay, so that's an NBC poll. And so you can imagine that if it's an NBC poll, the numbers are probably better than the numbers are, are because that's how this works. Uh, and so that's Chuck Todd's 71 to 28 percent. Americans lack confidence in Joe Biden's ability to handle Ukraine. Uh, and I'm sure they probably feel that way on other things. What do you think? As they see, you know, energy prices skyrocketing, shortages in the shelves. Yeah, I think we're in trouble. I think most people agree with that. And uh, that reminds me, uh, last, uh, yesterday, uh, President Trump was in uh, Commerce, Georgia, uh, doing a rally with thousands and thousands of people. He, a Saturday night, it was. Uh, he was there trying to talk to Sonny Perdue, who's now running for uh, governor in the state of Georgia, uh, challenging um, Brian Kemp, who, of course, during the elections and the, the recount, uh, was a big disappointment to many people in Georgia. And also, too, certainly made President Trump angry. So um, Purdue, who was the Senate candidate who narrowly lost to Raphael Warnick, uh, I think it was Raphael was his challenger. There were two radical leftists in that, uh, and it was split, and people didn't show up because they were so upset about the elections. And so um, uh, Sonny Purdue lost in that election. And so now he's running for governor, and the president was there to support him, along with Herschel Walker. So uh, that's what happened on Saturday night. The president, the former president of the United States, is out there swinging. And um, I want to tell you a couple of other things that happened over the weekend. And I I know, talk so quickly. I'll settle down because this is important. I've told you that uh, Jenny Thomas and Justice Clarence Thomas are under attack. Uh, You know, sometimes when you're, um, it's a blessing not to live in D.C. and the surrounding areas, Northern Virginia, Maryland, because it's a different world there. Uh, It's a cruel, vicious world, and it's controlled a lot by press. Uh, It's habit, you know, habit, what am I trying to say? It's uh, people live there who are radical leftists, a lot of activists. It can be good because people care about their country. Uh, whether they're conservative or liberal. But, man, if you get in the crosshairs, there is viciousness in D.C. Does anybody remember the Kavanaugh hearings? Uh, Yeah. So that's life in D.C. And so uh, Justice Thomas was released from the hospital after a week of an infection uh, and is back home. And so guess what greeted him when he got home? He and Jenny Thomas, his wife, um, all of these protesters in front of their streets, uh, and I believe some even came up on the driveway. Some were dressed in red hoods uh, like that, um, the demonstrations they used for Kavanaugh. And I have to tell you that there was a, um, a liberal outlet that let actually publicized their address. And do you know that that's a federal crime? You do not publish or notify anyone, advertise the address of a sitting federal judge of any kind, and especially a Supreme Court justice. It's, um, it's really... Unbelievable, and some of them are. Some of the people are actually calling for the death of Justice Clarence Thomas, and so now you know his address has been um, uh, released. And a lot of patriots, probably not enough, but the word went out that people who are in support of Jenny Thomas and Clarence Thomas 
the word went out last minute to go to their house and also support them. And so they did do that. But, of course, it was probably about 30 people, something like that. But this is really awful. Can you imagine? I don't know how sick Justice Thomas was, but sick enough to be in the hospital for a week and to come back home and have your home invaded, the privacy, your front yard, your your driveway, your street, and to have both of you under attack once again, as they were during his confirmation process, is just horrific. It is horrific and unseemly. But meanwhile, we have um, Judge Kataji Brown-Jackson on trial. Uh, on trial. <laughs> Didn't mean to say that. I guess in, metaphorically she's on trial. Uh, for those of us that are watching what's uh, the nom- her nomination to the Supreme Court. And um, I want to. there's a lot of things I want to talk about uh, in regard to that, some really important stuff. But let me just start this conversation by letting you hear. I, know, I noticed our news department played a Joy Reid uh, clip. She's, she's rich with clips. Uh, and so she said, um, since we last spoke, she made this comment about the hearing and how Republicans treated Katanji Brown-Jackson, clip four. What they care about is performing. Because their real job, much like Margie Green, is not to legislate, it is to perform. To perform for the Fox News audience, to perform for far-right voters who are terrified that their children will learn that slavery was bad and that slaves weren't happy and singing in the fields. They're terrified, and so they want to perform for that audience so that they'll vote. And so what I saw today was the performance of QAnon, QAnon ideology, trying to tie this woman who has perfect integrity that Lindsey Graham has voted for twice to be on the federal bench, to try to tie her to child pornography because they know that's going to activate QAnon voters in November. It was pure performative, it was repulsive, and it was purely thuggish. Thuggish. It was QAnon-ish of the attack on Katanji Brown-Jackson, and, of course, it's all about her color also. We have to add that, too. Now, with Clarence Thomas, the justice, you know, it's, you know, he he's black, but we can't, just because they're, you know, wanting him to die and cheering that he's in the hospital and, you know, invading his home, uh, not inside the home, but outside, uh, and making his wife and his life miserable because they have a different view of the world and politics but with Katanji Brown, that's not so bad. I don't even think Joyce talked about that, has she? Uh, but, uh, but but to say that Katanji Brown-Jackson has a bad record when it comes to child pornography is racist and QAnon. And so I want to sit on this for a second. Um, but this is so important. This is very important. 25 years, you know, in various capacities, she has advocated for leniency on child pornographers. Uh, this goes back to her college years. Uh, where she she really, that was a huge issue for her, and it carried into her her um, membership on the sentencing committee, and then in her judicial uh, philosophy, as she as Josh Hawley pointed out, like he picked I think seven seven cases out where she showed leniency to child pornographers, and it was really interesting to me that in the Hill, which is not a conservative publication, there was an article, and I want to commend this to you. And could I say, if you have children, they don't need to listen to this, okay? This is a time to scoot your children off or maybe turn it turn it off, turn it down, because I, I want you to understand what she's defending, okay? Because we can say, I'll just let this article talk about, this is written by a Kevin Brock, who's a former FBI agent whose area was child pornography, all right? And he says, this is in The Hill again, The Hill, a leftist publication. Child pornography is one of those sanitized phrases like concentration camp or special military operation that doesn't nearly describe the horrors of its true nature. 
It's a term that can be used sotto voce in polite company when the the uncomfortable subject comes up at a cocktail party or, say, a Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearing. Referring to the cruel sex abuse of small children and bland language enables superficial discourse like that witnessed during this week at the Senate Judiciary Committee interview of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. It allowed a sterile legal exchange between senators and Jackson without having to say out loud the violent reality of what they really are talking about. So let's set the context of what the term child pornography truly represents, investigations I supervised during my tenure with the FBI. Let's say out loud what law enforcement encounters every day on an ever-increasing scale, and let's keep all that in mind as we review Jackson's rationale for handing out lower sentences for the abusers who landed in her court. Here is the hard reality. These images are of mostly prepubescent children down to infants. They are frightening. Many are bloody. Many depict screams and crying and pain and helplessness. They show little children drugged and forced to do horrific acts and to endure unspeakable, life-scarring abuse. They represent children who have been abducted, trafficked, lured into a neighbor's or relative's house, or unbelievably turned over by a parent or an abuser for money. You guys hold the break just for about two minutes, please. This sick industry scans social media platforms, copies the photos you post of your little ones, and then digitally manipulates them into vile images. Be aware, parents. It isn't child pornography. It is mostly the actual or depicted torture of some small, innocent children by grown men who record the torture and sell it to other men who perpetuate the crime by trading the content and creating new demand, which, in a vicious cycle, generates more little victims. This is the reality that makes Jackson's efforts to explain her soft approach toward these criminals all the more troublesome. During her Senate confirmation hearing, Jackson was confronted with her record of, on average, cutting sentences nearly in half for individuals convicted in her court of violating child pornography laws when she had the discretion to do so. Jackson may not be able to define what a woman is, but she obviously has devoted a great deal of thought as to why she believes sentencing guidelines are unfair to those who participate in and perpetuate an industry that brutalizes young children. She was put on the defensive and responded, as many in Washington to do, do, by assigning blame elsewhere. It quickly got crowded under the bus as she tossed in Congress, then prosecutors, then other judges, followed by the U.S. Sentencing Commission and the Internet and lifetime restrictions on access to children and computers, and finally, society itself, which she said unfairly shuns sex offenders. More than once, she asserted that her discretion had to be guided by a principle that the sentencing should be sufficient but not greater than necessary to promote the purposes of punishment. And then she, the, the writer goes on to say, however, these sentences are designed to deter bad behavior, not just by the offender, but also the citizenry, where penalties should be sufficient to dissuade others from committing similar crimes. It's hard to point out to another crime that deserves more deterrence than tormenting a child for sexual purposes. But Jackson did not acknowledge the benefits of higher sentences that might deter participation in the child sexual abuse industry. She did, however, offer a stunning and puzzling rationale for her lighter sentences by asserting, while discussing a 2013 Sentencing Commission report, that today's world is somehow an exculpatory factor exculpatory factor when it comes to holding offenders accountable. In other words, since you can get more of it these days, you should be punished less. 
Good news for bad guys, but not so great for children. Jackson stated more than once that she has had to look at these terrible images presented as evidence in her court. This fact does not help her argument. It only calls into question her judgment because, as everyone in law enforcement knows, these repulsive images do not engender feelings of tolerance and reduced punishment in a normal person. Who looks at such horror and thinks, yep, I'm going to cut their sentence in half? Well, that's part of it. There's more to that article. We will put it on our Getter page. It's called The Supreme Court is About to Get a Justice Who Goes Easy on Sexual Exploiters of Children. You guys can start the music, please. But I I'm just, um, I wanted you to understand, because I do, listen, many years ago, I went to see the Attorney General, uh, John Ashcroft, because even under Bush, they were not prosecuting pornography. And even then, child pornography consisted, a lot of it, of raping babies. Do you understand how horrible this is? This is not mild stuff. This is not tease. This is really brutal stuff that these people are downloading and viewing. And for whatever reason, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is fixated on relieving the pain of that burden of punishment on them. And she's been holding that position since she was in college. This is a thing for her. And why is that? And do we want her on the highest court of the land? If you think not, call your senator and tell them not to vote yes on Katanji Brown Jackson. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This February, you can share heartbeats for the preborn. The Ministry of Preborn's mission is to rescue preborn babies. You see, every heartbeat proclaims our Creator's name. And when a mother considering abortion hears that heartbeat through ultrasound, the message is loud and clear. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. Preborn cries out for the preborn through heartbeats while supporting moms in crisis nationwide. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, it's a divine encounter, and 80% of the time, she'll choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com, that's preborn.com, or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence. She heads up the U.S. intelligence community, oversees the National Intelligence Program, and serves as an advisor to the President. Proverbs 11.14 reminds us of the importance of wise counsel. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear God, we ask for guidance for Avril Haines as she advises the president. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the presidential prayer team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. 
That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Parents will no longer be allowed access to public libraries in Loudoun County, Virginia schools. Stacy Langton tells the Washington Examiner that one principal is barring parents after she checked out All Boys Aren't Blue, one of several books she says contains child pornography and pedophilia. Now, educators got rid of Dr. Seuss and Little House on the Prairie, replaced them with material that would make even sailors blush. Many of the books available for kids contain pornographic material. In several instances, parents were ordered to stop reading excerpts at school board meetings. They were told the material was inappropriate for adults. Now, I would love to be able to read excerpts to you on the radio, but FCC regulations prevent me from doing that. It's against the law. I could face thousands of dollars in fines. And yet, school leaders want to let our children be exposed to that sort of pornographic smut. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Make no mistake, America is in crisis. The Democrat Party has been taken over by socialists, and they are endangering our security, bankrupting our nation, killing our jobs, fueling inflation, harming our children, defunding our police, shredding our freedoms, and rewriting our history. They are destroying the country you and I love, and they must be stopped. Our security, our freedom, and our future are at stake. As a farm girl from Archie, Missouri, I worked the farm alongside my parents and sister, raising crops and caring for livestock. My dedication to God, country, and family is nourished through strong Missouri roots. I work jobs cleaning out hog barns, driving a tractor, manning a produce stand, and later teaching school in Lebanon and Belton. Hard work, conservative Missouri values, commitment to faith, country, and family, it was our way of life, and it still is. I listen. I care, I fight, and with your support, I will win. I'm unafraid to proclaim my faith, the sanctity of life, my belief in freedom, personal responsibility, the rule of law, and our constitutional rights. I'm with you in this fight. We're engaged in a winner-take-all contest for the heart, soul, and future of America. My record proves I will fight for you and win defending the Constitution with Missouri values, and I will never quit. I will ensure this seat stays in conservative hands and lead the fight to win back the majority in the Senate. It starts here, right now. Join me in this vital mission as we lead, and with God's help win, this deciding battle to protect our freedoms and preserve America's greatness. Together, we will make America great once again for ourselves and for future generations. All right, Sandy Rios with you. Well, it is election season. We do know that, right? We have primaries coming up, and as I say to you all the time, the primaries are the places where you need to pay attention. Please do not wait until the general election next fall before you try to decide what candidate you're going to support because all of the true blue conservatives need your support in the primaries because in the primaries, 
Uh, they are almost everyone on the Republican side says they're a conservative. Uh, they almost all say that, and it's very difficult to discern, but that's what you've got to do, and that is your assignment. In Missouri, there is a very interesting Senate race. Uh, Senator Roy Blunt has retired. To me, that's a good thing, by the way, could I say. But anyway, there are lots of candidates running for this position. Eric Reitens was the governor who uh, had to, who resigned because of scandal. Now, he's uh, there's been some recent um, uh, reports that his Wife has further accused him, but then also reports that the uh, the, uh, the the attorney general in uh, Missouri has uh, behaved. Uh, I'm trying, starting to do this quickly. She's behaved without uh, some due course, and an FBI agent involved with her has admitted now that they did not handle his case well. So I don't know where that is. We also have uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt in Missouri running. We have a guy named Billy Long who's being actually. Uh, Kelly Ann Conway is uh, is helping with his campaign. A guy named Missouri Senate President Dave Schatz, and also Mark McCloskey, the guy who was with his wife in front of that home in St. Louis, attacked for you know trying to protect their home. So it's very very interesting. But this morning we want to introduce you to someone who's also running for that. Senate seat in Missouri, Vicki Hartzler. Vicki has been a um, she was a she spent three terms in the Missouri House of Representatives, and she has served in Congress uh, since 2010. And so we invited her to join us this morning. Good morning, Vic. Uh, good morning, Congresswoman. How are you? I'm great, Sandy. Glad to be here. You have a really good endorsement, I understand, just recent. You want to tell us about that? Well, I was very blessed to have the endorsement from uh, Senator Josh Hawley here in Missouri, and I was humbled by what he said and when he endorsed me, when he said that I have the integrity, the heart, and the toughness that Missouri needs, and he can hardly wait to work with me, and I very much appreciate that. And that's a an additional endorsement uh, in addition to Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, uh, Penny Nance, President of Concerned Women for America, Senator Joni Ernst, Senator Deb Fisher, and and many others. But uh, we're just building a, a huge momentum and team here in Missouri that's ready to take back our country for our foundational values. Now, let me just, uh, I was reading your resume, and it is fun. You, I mean, you have a great, I'm from a small, I'm not that, I raised, probably raised not that far from you in Illinois, southern Illinois. And so uh, uh, girls who come from uh, sort of the Midwest and come up in a simple way but, you know, work hard and have some great qualifications appeal to me. Mary Miller, it, you know, of course, is one of those that we featured, and I think you and Mary are good, really good friends uh, you have a great background here, and your your hard work speaks really highly of you, Congresswoman. Uh, here's my caution. This is my concern, so I'm going to have you defend yourself because I don't know you that well. Um, I saw Joni Ernst make the same claims. I mean, she was going to be, you know, the mom from Missouri and do all of these wonderful things. And I, <clears throat> I, um, I see I see a lot of talk, but I have not seen a lot of action, a lot of good things personally. I know that's going to be offensive to you a little bit, but I want to ask you. If you think it's possible, I mean, what are you prepared to do in the Senate? You have to fight, you know. You can't just be one of the guys and follow the leadership. And I'm concerned, I'm curious to know what your opinion is of going into that body, how you would handle your background and what you would bring uh, to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Well, I think courageous, conservative leadership is what I bring. And I have a track record for the last 12 years. I mean, I was the uh, the person that offered the amendment in the Armed Services Committee to stop open service of transgenders. I offered on the House floor the amendment uh, to make sure that our defense dollars don't go to pay for sex change operations. Unfortunately, we lost that. We had nine Republicans vote against that. I lost it by five votes. 
but uh, you know, it made enough of a uh, awareness in in conservative uh, circles that President Trump took action himself a few weeks later, an executive order, and took steps to address that. And that many of my colleagues advised me not to to try to to do that. I said this is this is just right. Uh, you know, we have the purpose of our defense dollars is to keep us safe, and it's not to pay for sex change operations. And so I'm chairman of the House Values Action Team in the House. I lead over 100 members of Congress in efforts of faith, family, and freedom. I've, I'm the leader of the bill to try to defund Planned Parenthood, and uh, we were somewhat successful uh, under President Trump to get uh, part of that money removed. But, you know, we've got to continue to stand strong for these things. And in the Senate, you'll have even more power to be able to get things done because you can hold things up. One one senator can hold uh, things up until you, you get some uh, uh, concessions of what you want. And so I'm looking forward to being able to have a little more leverage uh, to get things done. You know, um, actually, I confess to you, I had forgotten that you led the fight uh, to stop transgenderism in the military. Somehow we did not connect during that time. And that, that, would t- that did take a lot of courage. There was hardly anyone in D.C. fighting that battle. And so I thank you for that. And that takes me to the next issue then on women's sports, because you were, you were an athlete yourself in high school, right? That's correct. So on women's sports and the whole Leah Thomas issue, that's the, she's kind of the tip of the spear because of the news cycle, but there's so many other stories about that. What, what, have, what has Congress been able to do to address that whole situation? Well, there are two pieces of legislation that have been introduced, and one of them is by our mutual friend, Mary Miller, uh, but that would stop the, the Title IX money from going to a school uh, if they allow biological males to compete in uh, female sports. And, um, you know, Title IX was passed back in 1972 with the purpose of trying to give women equal opportunities in education and scholarships and in programs, but certainly in sports as well. And uh, it's just really curious. The feminists were very much supportive of it then, but yet they're silent now when we have biological males that are identifying uh, as females now taking away uh, girls' ribbons, medals, uh, scholarships, and setting records. And uh, Will Thomas, who swam for two years with the University of Pennsylvania swim team on the men's team, and then during COVID decided that he really was a woman and then demanded to swim on the women's team instead. And the University of Pennsylvania is allowing him to do that. You know, now is, is just trampling on all of these female athletes and their, their hopes, their dreams, their opportunities for medals. Uh, and it's just wrong. And so I've, I've spoken up against that. Um, and Twitter has suspended my campaign account because I made an ad where I said that and I posted that women's sports should be for women, not men pretending to be women. And they said that that violated their hateful conduct rules and that I, they demanded they take it down for me to be able to have my campaign count back. And so what I told them is that they can have their campaign account, I, that I'm not going to take it down. Um, you know, this is just basic truth. This is common sense. This is speaking up for girls and women's sports. And if we don't speak up now, it's going to decimate women's sports. And we're not going to recognize our, our, our schools or, or our society if we just remain silent. Let's talk about something else important that you've been, uh, you've been very active on. And I actually think uh, that going to the Senate, you would have more. I think there's more, there's more of a problem in the Senate and the, the support of China, you know, the enrichment of various senators on both sides of the aisle. 
for their connections to China. And you have been really fighting this issue in the House. In fact, China has, I think, blacklisted you or blackballed you or whatever the word is uh, because you have fought against yeah. China. So talk to me about what you would do, Vicki, about that. Congresswoman, I'm so sorry. Sure. Congresswoman, about no, that. No, no, call. Please call me Vicki. You know, that's who I am. But yes, I have been sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party, and I'm, I'm proud of that. And that particular sanction is because of my outspokenness against their human rights abuses with what they're doing with uh, the record level of persecution against Christians, the uh, number of uh, pastors in in prison over there, but also the Uyghur Muslims, with almost two million of them in concentration camps, and the genocide that they're con- committing there, uh, and even Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, designated them as committing genocide uh, because of the forced sterilizations and abortions of Uyghur women. And so I was appointed a couple of years ago to the Congressional Executive Commission on China, and we produce an annual report on their human rights abuses. And it's uh, as a result of that report and my uh, speeches on the House floor and other things that they sanctioned me. But I've also produced a four-part video series on my official website, heartsler.house.gov, that I encourage people to please go there and watch them because I want the American public to know what I know uh, to the level that I can share after all the classified briefings that I've gone to as a member of the Armed Services Committee <clears throat> about the threats from China. And so the first one covers the military threats. The second one covers the economic threats and the Belt and Road Initiative. The third one covers the uh, malign influence and how they're using our universities. And the fourth one covers their human rights abuses. Uh, But we have got to be aware of of China's plan for world domination. And it's not just a bad uh, movie on a Saturday night. That is really, they genuinely have a plan like that. And uh, we are not part of it. I mean, they're going to, they want to take us out in different ways. And we need to be aware of it um, and uh, be prepared for it. I think, though, I think, you know what? Here's like one other issue where I think Americans are pretty clued in right now, uh, Congresswoman. I think the biggest battle for you, if you are elected as a Senate, is going to be uh, fighting the deception of the people that you're serving with. Because, as you know, they are covering for a lot of these things. And, again, they're enriching themselves. I'm just saying that's a cesspool especially the forum, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And so we, I guess I would just, I'm not asking you to respond to that. I'm just saying, I want people to understand what you're stepping into. It's more than China's bad and we need to fight back at them. It's also inside the gate. We have a lot of stuff going on that has to, has to be addressed and fought in different ways. So that, would not, that will not be a, an easy job. You've got, now this is interesting because I mentioned earlier, Eric Greitens is the former governor of uh, Missouri. He's running, and he's being uh, advised by Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is, of course, Don Jr.'s, I don't know, uh, sweetheart. I guess I'll call it that. And then Billy Long is being advised by Kellyanne Conway. And President Trump has not endorsed. What's the state of that, Congresswoman? Do you think do you, think you have a chance to get his endorsement? Because you know that ma- makes a difference in a lot of races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly do. I mean, he knows me. He called me a couple of weeks ago, uh, checking in on the race. You know, he knows that I voted with him over 95% of the time, which is more than Billy Long or, or you know, in the race as well. And so uh, he knows that I worked alongside him to help uh, secure the border and to rebuild our military, uh, rebuild our economy, have us energy independent, all of those votes, all of those important uh, le- pieces of legislation. And and uh, so he's watching the race. There's a lot of people running, I say, uh, you know, 
some of them, uh, like Billy Long is paying Kellyanne Conway uh, for his or consulting services and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I think the president is watching things and, uh, you know, we'll see if he gets involved or not, but he knows I would certainly welcome his support. One, one last thing. This is something that's uh, heartbreaking to me, and I, I suspect it is to you, too. You serve again on the Armed Services Committee. You care deeply about what's happening in the military. And one of the things that's been a gut punch has been, I believe, the absence of congressional defense of our members of the military uh, in regard to COVID protocols, forced vaccinations. We're now we're seeing how many of them have been injured, myocarditis, heart miscarriages. It's horrific what we have forced upon our military, but even to me more horrific, has been the lack of defense by members of Congress and Senate. Um, and so I want to know how you feel about that and what what you could see doing as a senator on their behalf. Yeah. Well, I, I would say there's many of us who have been fighting. They're just being in the minority. There's only so many tools that you have. But we have... Uh, you know, I've sent multiple letters demanding that they give uh, acknowledge religious exemptions and that they and, uh, you know, had, had called phone calls and, and demanded to know uh, from the Navy how many religious exemptions they've given and, and why and why not. And we did get two amendments in the National Defense Authorization Act, even though we are in the minority. Uh, but one, <clears throat> excuse me, to require that they have to consider natural immunity as part of their protocol. And they totally have ignored that. And so what I've done now is, as they're starting to kick out people of the military, which I just have been fighting tooth and nails, is absolutely wrong. Uh, I sent a letter demanding that uh, Secretary Austin uh, comply with the NDAA because they are violating the law. <clears throat> you know, we they should have considered at least natural hum- immunity. So this administration is just running roughshod over those of us who have been you know, trying to fight for our men and women uniform and their rights and their religious freedoms. Um, and so it's just, I know there's some lawsuits that are out there that I support. I think that's perhaps is going to be the most direct way to try to address them. The Navy SEALs did get a positive outcome on that case. At least uh, at this point, there's an injunction against kicking them out. And there's several other court cases pending, but it is just maddening. And that's why we've got to take back the majority. That's one of the reasons I'm running. I have a safe seat in the House. I could stay there probably again. The good people in my district um, might send me again, as they have in the past, with over 65% of the vote. But I'm running, uh, putting it all on the line to run statewide because I care about people all over the state. But uh, we are in a crisis, and we've got to, I've got to help take back the Senate and stop Schumer and be able to stop this train wreck. Um, and that's that's my goal right now because it's just wrong what they're doing. Well, uh, yes, understatement. And I, I'm glad to hear you say all of those things, Congresswoman. Let me just say that our her her house uh, website, which has the videos on China, is hartzler.house.gov. But what's your campaign webs, uh, website, uh, Congresswoman, in case someone would like to help you? Yes, it's vickihartzler.com. And Vicki is spelled the Y, V-I-C-K-Y, H-A-R. P-Z-L-E-R. Okay. We'll put that on our getter page so people can reference it and also the, the link to your, your house.gov and your videos to, uh, on China. Uh, Congresswoman, we wish you all the baddest, best 
And hopefully you and I can talk again, uh, especially I'm concerned about our military men. And I'm going to talk about that once I say goodbye to you. But thanks for joining me this morning. Appreciate your time and your good work on behalf of this country and the United States Congress. And we wish you well in this Senate race. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. What do normal human beings want for a six-year-old? Bishop E.W. Jackson. To be loved, to be protected, to be shielded from some of the ugliness in the world. But you got these nutcases who want to push on a six-year-old that you are inherently evil because of the color of your skin. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Genesis 3 records for us the cataclysmic rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. The entire episode, Eve's entertainment of the sensual lies of the talking snake, the deceptive twisting of God's word, all of it transpired with Adam standing right there. Adam was the one to whom God entrusted his word originally. Adam was the one God charged with cultivating and protecting the garden and his wife. Yet he stood there, silent. Men, let us not repeat Adam's sin of present absence. Stand on God's word and defend your gardens. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The Internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. In Poland last week, President Biden threw rhetorical matches into a potential nuclear tinderbox. His suggestion that the 82nd Airborne would soon be in Ukraine and his subsequent declaration that Russian dictator Vladimir Putin, quote, cannot remain in power, unquote, invited preemptive action by the Kremlin. Our presentdangerchina.org webinar last week established that given Putin's doctrine, preparations, and paranoia, 
Such loose talk could well precipitate his first use of nuclear weapons. The speed with which the White House walked back both statements suggests the magnitude of the danger. Several conclusions follow from this latest Biden debacle. One, it's time for Joe to go. Two, if he won't resign, the 25th Amendment must be invoked to remove him. And three, a new nonpartisan vice president must be appointed, one with a robust national security background who will promise not to run in 2024. This is Frank Afney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. I think what the Congresswoman didn't realize was that over, I think it was Thursday night or Friday, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, rejected the appeal in Florida brought by Matt Staver and Liberty Council uh, to um, stop, uh, to to not make the Navy SEALs have uh, vaccination. It was brought by something like, Sorry, I'm going backwards than what I anticipated. But there was there's several Navy SEALs who came to Matt uh, to try the. This is what happens when I try to do too many things and too many pieces of paper. Let me just say that there was a lower court judge who sided with the Navy SEALs. They had asked for religious exemptions, and the Navy just ignored all of them. And based on that and other factors, uh, the the lower court judge said, "I'm staying this. This is just wrong. You can't do this to our military." Well, I went to the Supreme Court, and guess what happened? Guess. Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess? In a 6-3 to three ruling, they overturned that district court judge. And let's see. Um, Brett Kavanaugh wrote, I think, the, uh, the opinion. In this case, the district court, while no doubt well-intentioned, in effect, inserted itself into the Navy's chain of command, command overriding military commanders' professional military judgments. Uh, Justice Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Clarence Thomas all dissented. And Alito said it was a great injustice. Um, the Navy, Navy's summary rejection of respondents' requests for religious exemptions was by no means the least restrictive means of furthering those interests. That's all legal legal jargon for our religious rights, according to the law. He also said that um, he dissented due to the language of the Biden administration's application to the Supreme Court and the higher court's order, which he said allows the Navy to use respondents' unvaccinated status as a reason for directing them to perform whatever duties or functions the Navy wants, including sitting alone in a room, pushing a paper, or reading manuals for the duration of the appellate process. So there's 35, this is the, here's the number, 35 Navy Special, special Warfare Service members, uh, among them 26 Navy SEALs who sought religious exemptions. And so um, this is what the lower court judge said. Oh, that he were at the Supreme Court because he said, our nation asks the men and women in our military to serve, suffer, and sacrifice, but we do not ask them to lay aside their citizenry and give up the very rights they have sworn to protect. That's U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor, appointee of uh, George W. Bush. But the court you know that conservative court we have? That that conserv- they're all conservatives, right? Justice Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. Oh yes, oh yes. So and John uh, John Roberts, very conservative, right? Except they're fools on this. Have they not seen the latest reports on the damage and the loss of life, the damage to hearts, to the loss of babies through miscarriage? The report right out of the military. Haven't they seen that? I mean, they probably haven't. That's how ignorant, honestly. Don't think that people in Washington who look great and stand up straight and have great ties and great uh, articulation are really that informed. Most of the time, it's their clerks, it's their staffers, 
the people that write there, you know, that they're the ones doing the thinking. And I'm just telling you, I think most of the people in Washington who reach that level are not serious-minded. They're just not. They're not paying attention. They don't know as much as you know. I think this is disgraceful. Disgraceful. So I don't know what's going to happen next, but I just wanted to make sure you heard that. And by one, one other thing, I was listening to a couple of the shows that I, that we did this week, and the one on the CDC removing the the count of children's deaths who died by COVID-19. I was so muddled on that, and I, I felt badly about it. And so I wanted to be a little bit more, more exact here. The CD, CDC actually removed 24% of what they claimed were child COVID-19 deaths. And they did it because they said, oh, there was a... You know, they made a mistake. There was a an error. There's always an accounting error, some oops, a glitch. You know, and uh, th- that glitch happened. Uh, those the increased numbers that they gave happened just happened to be reported when Dr. Rochelle Walensky was uh, trying to push for an expert panel to advise her agency to re- recommend vaccination for all children five and eleven years old. That's the kind of deception that we are operating under. And but but now there was a glitch. And they had to adjust it because well, there really, well, there really weren't that many. They were twenty four percent less than what they claimed, and many of those that they still claim died of other things, as I read, like drownings, uh, sh- uh, accidental shootings, all kinds of things, or shootings. But they were attributed to COVID. So there you go. Um, one th- other thing that's so inc- this is really a great story, and I have to tell you that Justin Trudeau, our favorite uh, prime minister, forgive me for saying premier yesterday, that's another mistake I made again, prime minister of um, Canada was speaking at the European Union, and he said basically at the European Parliament in Brussels on Wednesday, he called for aid to Ukraine and then brought up the protests over the vaccine mandates that took over downtown Ottawa for three weeks, and he said he accused cynical populists of offering easy solutions that play on people's fears, even in Canada, where 90% of the people are vaccinated. Well, in the EU, could I just say, there are some people that were not down with that little speech, and one of them was um, uh, one of the EP re- uh, European Parliament representatives, Mislav Kolokusik of Croatia, and uh, I want to just let you hear what he has to say, and I'm going to translate over the top of it. This is clip 11. Let's listen. Dear colleagues, dear citizens, Prime Minister Trudeau, freedom, the right to choose, the right to work for many of us are fundamental human rights for which millions of citizens of Europe and the world have laid down their lives to defend our rights and the rights of our children, which we have acquired over the centuries. Any of us, including myself, are willing to risk our own freedom and our own lives. Unfortunately, today there are those among us who trample on these fundamental values. Canada Once a symbol of modern world has been a symbol of civil rights violations under your quasi-liberal boot in recent months. We watched how you trample women with horses, how you block bank accounts of single parents so they can't even pay their children's education and medicine. They can't pay utilities, mortgages for their homes. To you, these may be liberal methods. For many citizens of the world, it is a dictatorship of the worst kind. Rest assured that the citizens of the world, united, we can stop a regime that wants to destroy the freedom of citizens. 
either by bombs or harmful pharmaceutical products. Thank you. Yeah. So then he goes on. I finished more quickly, but that's Mislav Kolokuski. He is uh, an MP from uh, Croatia. Uh, and also then there was another woman from Germany, Christina Anderson. Christina Anderson, man, remember, you don't know, remember, you wouldn't know, that in the picture they are speaking and Trudeau is up on a higher rise, a higher place, but he's right in the camera shot. You can see him and they turn around and point to him. And this is Christine Anderson from uh, Germany. This is clip 10, let's listen to her. Based on article 195, out that it would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this house according to article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a Prime Minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. So Mr. Anderson Trudeau, you are a disgrace Sorry. for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. You are a disgrace to any democracy. Please spare us your presence. And he, she wasn't the only one. Bernhard Zimniok, who's also from Germany, uh, he had, the reason we can't play this is because there was a it was mostly in German. It was a little hard to trans, translate, but he he's uh, same thing. And there were others. Some didn't even show up because they did not want to hear him speak out of protest. Uh, so that's the European Union. You know, I, I just take heart in that. I recognize it's a large body, and those were only a few people, maybe maybe five at the most. Uh, but they called him out big time uh, and pointed to him, and he's right there on camera. And I just think that's a good thing, don't you? I just think anytime truth is spoken. It has a power that transcends numbers. That's why one person who speaks the truth has to be stomped out by people who like to lie. And so those guys were brave, and they did that. And I, I just wonder, you just hope uh, that somehow it would resonate with someone like Justin Trudeau. But uh, don't uh, hold your breath. All right. Well, uh, lots of interesting news today. hope you enjoyed it. We have a lot more tomorrow. And this week, we've got some special guests that you won't want to miss. So stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.